0: It's the playbook. It's that proven out. It's been shown in other markets to work. So you're not trying to recreate product market fit day one. You know what that path to profitability is. You're not trying to figure out, can this be profitable? Now you've got a coach on the sidelines in that franchise or that the better you do, the better they do. And so they're supporting you day in, day out. And this oftentimes goes overlooked, but you've got franchise owners in other markets, other franchisees that you're constantly learning from.
1: That was John Austinson. Speaking about some of the reasons why more people are seeking out franchises, in this case, non-food franchises. Non-food franchising, its related global trends in future, and the opportunities that will create will be our focus on the next two episodes of Looking Forward. Welcome to Looking Forward, where we speak with experts about marketplace and societal trends, and most importantly, how they might affect you. I'm Jeff Ostroff, the host of Looking Forward. If you're like me, you're fascinated by trends in the future. In fact, several years ago, that was one of the things I focused on in a book I wrote. Hello, Looking Forward listener. Before we get into this episode, I would like to let you know how much I really appreciate your tuning in. I would also like to make a simple request of you. If you like this episode or any other you hear on Looking Forward, Please, by all means, share it with a friend or family member or two. Along with helping your friends and family learn about global trends, the future, and some terrific opportunities, this may also make for some great conversation between you. On these two episodes of Looking Forward, we're going to focus on the exciting and diverse world of non-food franchising. Here in Part 1, Episode Number 93, we'll learn about such things as How many non-food franchises exist? What some of the benefits of franchising are? The many different kinds of non-food franchises and whether or not non-food franchising represents a global opportunity. We'll also learn about what impact COVID-19 has had on the franchising industry. In part two, we'll discuss a lot more, including what the future might look like for non-food franchising, tips on choosing a franchise, and what opportunities a non-food franchise might offer you, whether you are a job or career seeker, investor, entrepreneur, or potential business owner. To help us with all this, we've brought on another outstanding, well-qualified guest expert. He's John Ostenson. John Ostenson is a top 1% national franchise broker, investor, author, and international speaker Specializing in the area he has coined non-food franchising. Having served as the president of an Inc. 500 franchise system and now as a multi-brand franchisee himself, John is uniquely positioned to educate others on franchising and franchise selection. John serves as CEO of Franbridge Consulting and has helped thousands of entrepreneurs and investors explore business ownership and investment opportunities john is the author of the book on non-food franchising and is a frequent contributor and thought leader for publications on the topic of franchising and franchise investments prior to franbridge john was the president of shelf genie a national franchise system with 200 plus locations hi john welcome looking forward Hey, Jeff, excited to be here. Love the show. Appreciate you having me. Well, thank you very much, John. This topic is one that I'm really excited about. And quite frankly, most of my shows, I'm interested in hearing what the guest has to say and the trend topic. But yours is that elite group that I'm really interested in. Franchising is something that has always fascinated me, even though I've never gotten into it what got you interested in franchising? Is it something that you were thinking about when you were in high school or college or was it, as is often the case with the guest, sort of a serendipitous thing?
0: It was serendipitous. That would be the definition. Like so many of your listeners, my background was in the corporate world and spent many years climbing that ladder and you know, helping others build their empires. You know, very grateful for the time that we had, and and I feel that there was a lot that I took from that, a lot of lessons and and learnings, and uh, had a great experience. But no, really stumbled into it just over six years ago. Left corporate America, as I would define corporate America, for an opportunity to run the Shelf Genie franchise system. Shelf Genie is custom pull-out shelving for kitchens and pantries, and part of the home remodeling sector. And had the opportunity to come in and run the day-to-day operations, or marketing teams, or call center, or technology teams, supporting owners across North America, really in their day-to-day operations. And for me, that was an experience where it really opened up my eyes to this world that I've now dubbed non-food franchising. where yes. there are a lot of paths to business ownership within franchising that people don't know about. I know that we'll touch on those a little bit more in a few minutes. But no, that was really the pivotal moment for me. And then from there, you know, it's transpired into what I do today.
1: So in actuality, you actually didn't first buy a franchise. You got in by working for a franchisee or a franchisor.
0: So I came in as the franchisor. So we had the founder of Shelf Genie. I came in and served as president working for him.
1: Okay. And one other thing, John, if you don't mind answering this, is when you left corporate America about six years ago, was that a decision that you made or were you let go and you had to decide what am i going to do next
0: great question now, that was a decision that i made and you know at the time it wasn't an easy decision to have the golden handcuffs with stock options and, and other benefits but we've been planning ahead for a number of years and And what I see so often in my clients today is that entrepreneurial itch to do something a little different. You know, grass may always be greener. In some cases, it is. In some cases, it may not be. But I know that's what uh, pushed me over the edge, really scratching that itch.
1: Excellent. The thing that you alluded to, which is one of the things, quite frankly, that excited me about bringing you on, John, was we all know about the McDonald's and the Burger King's. And we also, I think most of us know that there are other kinds of franchises. But the fact is you decided to focus on those non-food franchises. Why?
0: Several reasons why. And one, I now work in a role in which I play matchmaker. I get to do executive recruiting on behalf of hundreds of brands and opening up people's eyes to the types of opportunities in their market that really fit the mold uh, that that they're looking for in the profile. we, We really love doing that. What I found is about 95% of my clients want nothing to do with food. In their opinion, there are easier ways to make money, maybe less capital intensive on the front end, less trendy, less risk associated with it, less inventory, smaller teams in some cases. And so all those attributes, you know, lead them to say, hey. And I will say 5% of my clients love food. And, you know, God bless them. We need people doing that, but probably 95% would say no. And my background is not food. And I love the idea of really niching down and being very focused. And like you said, an expert in the area. So that's really what led me to non food franchise.
1: That's interesting. Is it an accurate statement to say, we probably will get more into this later, John, that to get into a non food franchise may cost less? Is that accurate?
0: It would be accurate in most cases. I would in most say.
1: Cases. And in terms of franchises themselves, are there many more non-food franchises? I would think than food franchises.
0: You know, still today, I, I think it's evolving. Where you will see more in time. Today, it's still fairly even. So when you look at the U.S. as an example, roughly four thousand franchise brands. Half of those are in the food space. Half are in the non-food space. And To demystify what I'm referring to when I say non-food, we're talking about automotive. We're talking about home and property services, health and wellness and fitness, and talking about areas, you know, deal with kids or with pets or the aging population, all those things that people are willing to spend money on and need to spend money on, really, regardless of the economy. If we're going to have a recession, in a lot of cases, they're Amazon resistant. In some cases, COVID resistant, you know, as true essential services. So, you know, it's all these other industries. I mean, there's. There are literally dozens of industries that oftentimes people don't associate with franchising, and they may shop there every day and and not realize, wait a minute, that's a franchise. (laughs) I never knew that.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And I'm hoping that later on, we're going to get to some specific examples, perhaps, of those kinds of franchises. Now, you hit on something that I want to have you elaborate on. When we start talking about non food franchises, the franchisors and the franchisees, can you give us an idea approximately how many of them are out there today in the United States? And perhaps if you have the numbers around the world. Yeah, you know, just to break it down, in the US,
0: there are roughly 4,000 franchise brands operating in about 800,000 establishments across the US. Wow. And they contribute about 800 billion in annual GDP. When you look worldwide, in most cases it's about triple that. So you're looking at two point three trillion is the estimate the franchising worldwide contributes to relative nations GDPs on average. Yeah, there are about two million establishments in the US. So again, about three times, you know, within that, you've got eight million employees in the US. If you extrapolate internationally, you're probably talking twenty million ballparks. So It is very substantial. And when you look at the, you know, just some examples out there, you've got 7 Eleven, it has the most locations of any franchise system, followed by Subway, McDonald's. You've got other representatives like Dunkin' Donuts and and Pizza Hut, Taco Bell, so all those traditional food oriented franchises. But then you look at businesses like Anytime Fitness or Ace Hardware. Remax, Chemdry, you know, UPS store, you know, these are ones that touch on different industries and have that global expansion over the years. So yeah, you know, that's just kind of the tip of the iceberg.
1: Yeah. And it's interesting to hear about the franchises that we know in the United States that are operating around the world. Are there franchises that emanate in other parts of the world and end up operating here? And maybe give us an example. Yeah, you definitely see some
0: international... And I'd say this is when we're looking forward. This is definitely the direction that we do see international companies looking to expand into the U.S. and vice versa. I think that Foot Solutions is one that we work closely with. It's custom orthotics and insoles using 3D printing. And that one you know, operates in multiple countries, still has the largest presence in the U.S. But you know they focused on international growth over time in a smaller way. What I find it's interesting within food, you know, the brand really matters. However, in a lot of these industries, there's not that brand familiarity. Instead, it's all those other attributes of franchising. You know, the way I break it down for people is: there may be a known brand, but oftentimes that brand is sold out in your market. There's not going to be an opportunity with that one if if you're already aware of it. And so we look at what are those other benefits of franchising? Why are people getting involved? It's the playbook. It's that proven out. It's been shown in other markets to work. You're not trying to recreate product market fit day one. You know what that path to profitability is. You're not trying to figure out, can this be profitable? Now you've got a coach on the sidelines in that franchise or that the better you do, the better they do. And so they're supporting you day in, day out. And this oftentimes goes overlooked, but you've got franchise owners in other markets, other franchisees that you're constantly learning from. I'm a franchisee myself of several brands. You know, I'm now sitting on that side of the table as well. Yeah. What I've seen firsthand is you're supporting each other and you're finding, hey, what is the best marketing vehicle you know, for this situation? Where do I find the best talent? Exchanging those learnings. Not to be too cliche, you are in business for yourself, but not by yourself, eh? which is really encouraging to a lot of first-time business owners as well as others. And so that's a huge asset. And you're going to have an exit value down the road. So you're not just building cash flow. You're not just able to write off expenses as a business owner, but it's really that triple whammy, as I call it, that at the end of the day, you're going to be able to sell that business. There was an interesting study, Jeff, that was done recently by the Rinker School of Business. And this was US data, but they looked at 2000 business transactions over a 10-year period, both franchised and non-franchised in similar industries. And they found that the franchise businesses traded at a multiple of one and a half times the non-franchised. So there is value from a resale standpoint down the road in the eyes of that future buyer.
1: Excellent. I hope everybody's listening to what John is saying here. And I do want to add to that, John, you reminded me of something when you talked about the exit strategy. I actually was working for a company who had me doing interviews with franchises where the franchisee was selling the business. One was food. It happened to be in the water ice business and ice cream. And the other one was involved with carpet cleaning. I won't get into names, but uh, you probably can figure out who they are. Now, here on Looking Forward, even though we look forward, we first like to look a bit backwards. And I'd like you to take a look at the last two or three or whatever decades you want to go back to, John, and tell us how non-food franchising has evolved. We'll start with the United States. In terms of, for example, their growth or the decline in the number of franchises, the variety, where they're located, sales trajectory, things like that, first, the United States. You know,
0: when you look back over the past 20 years, you know, and you look at the sheer number of franchise establishments then versus now, you see growth. It hasn't been great growth in total. I think it's been more of a mixed shift within those numbers. Here in the U.S., franchise growth over the past eight years from 2013 to the present has grown every single year with the exception of 2020. Which again, you had some mixed shift because you saw a lot of franchises grow in 2020. A lot did very, very well. However, obviously, the QSR fast food market really took a beating as well as some other industries, just like everything else outside of franchising. We've definitely seen growth over the past two decades. I'd say more of that has been a mixed shift within the types of businesses within franchising. When you look at the sheer number, you know, the growth rate wouldn't look that high, but we have seen a pullback in QSRs. We've seen a lot more standalone restaurants on average. And we've seen growth in other industries. And I think part of that is more and more businesses are realizing that they can franchise, and that's a great way to scale. We've definitely seen an evolution in the types of businesses, geographically as well in the US as well as internationally. And so lots of interest in franchising. I think that's continued to grow over time. And Just zooming into the U.S. over the past 10 years, there's been growth every single year within a number of franchise establishments, with the exception of 2020, where we did see a shellacking in the QSR industry. Many of those have bounced back. But we did see a lot of franchises that grew during that time, some of those essential service type businesses.
1: Following up on that, John, have they evolved to where the sales over the years have been growing? And in terms of where they're located, are there more places around the country. We're just in the United States now that have franchises. Can you comment a little bit about the sales, where they're located, the variety? Have you seen changes in that over the years? Absolutely. And I think the changes
0: have really mirrored what we've seen from a population growth standpoint. So obviously, in recent years, we've seen growth to states like Idaho and Montana. That's a fairly recent phenomenon, but we're seeing great growth you know, those areas, and I'd say in the Southwest U S and in Florida and Texas. And this is a really interesting stat. When you look at on a per capita basis, the level of interest in franchising, North Carolina is at the very top of the list. Wow. And so, you know, and I'd say Charlotte and Raleigh are some of those first markets to go along with Atlanta and Dallas and Florida, but, but that's where you see the economies booming. That's where they're free to operate, maybe less regulation, lower taxation. And I see it different from clients all the time. They're moving from high taxation states to lower. That being said, there's still a lot of business happening in areas like California and New York. We've done deals in both of those states in the past month. And so really, entrepreneurship is alive and well. And I think that's only grown as a result of COVID.
1: Interesting. So to some extent, you might be able to take a look at where our new franchises being established. And relate that in some way to the growth of that state in its population or in its revenue generation or or whatever. Its economy, I guess, is what I'm thinking. Just to have you clarify something, you used a term that I'm not familiar with. It's industry parlance, I'm gathering, and other people may not be either. Did you say QSR? Quick service restaurants. Right. It just occurred to me what that was. Okay. So everybody, if you didn't know it, QSR, quick service restaurants. When you think about the evolution you just talked about in the United States, how much of that would you say is applicable to elsewhere around the world? Because we have listeners, not just in the United States and Canada, we have listeners all over the world. So the trends in terms of the evolution up to the present day, we'll get to that. What have you observed Absolutely. I think it's a couple of macro trends.
0: Of First, you've got this brand, say DoubleTree by Hilton, that has probably maxed out their US growth in large parts. So then they start looking international. So now you see those in a ton of countries. Frankly, we forget, but where was the internet 20 years ago versus now? There's a lot more inflow of ideas and research and people are traveling and they're moving and you've got expats in other countries. So I think spreading the ideas... And again, just more industries getting involved in franchising, realizing that that is a profitable way to scale in large part because you've got, as a business owner, you always want your employees to think like owners. Well, through franchising, that franchise org can all of a sudden have those with skin in the game that act like owners in other markets. They know their local markets better than the franchise store ever would. They're able to scale a lot more quickly, you know, using other people's money. And they're able to build up to a very profitable exit in a lot of cases because private equity loves franchising. If you do a little Googling, you'll see all the acquisitions that have been happening in recent years by private equity firms coming in, scooping up that franchisor and investing money and then expanding either further domestically
1: or internationally. That's very interesting. And it makes a lot of sense. You gave the example of North Carolina and you said, boy, you know, you see a lot of things happening in North Carolina. Is there a country or maybe are there a couple of countries where you could say, you know, there's a lot of stuff happening here? Now, India is second to the U.S. Really? Yeah, you know, the
0: amount of franchising that takes place. And, you know, again, it's a democracy, a lot of entrepreneurial thinking, a lot of hardworking, individualistic business owner types, but they see the value in franchising. And it's interesting, those that have immigrated to the U.S., you also see a larger percentage of those, you know, from India versus from other countries. and I think a lot of times we've seen them getting involved in QSRs a little more likely, but I've got plenty of Indian clients that are now expanding into other areas as well.
1: So India is a big player in the franchising game.
0: It is. And even South America,
1: you know, you're starting to see... Really? And
0: I'd say a lot of this is evolving. Again, as we look ahead, you know, there are a couple hundred businesses in South America that recently engaged at now, obviously, there's a lot of regulatory hurdles so you have to jump through in addition to just translating language and everything else. But you know, because it, it, franchising is regulated by the Federal Trade Commission. Every franchise system is required to have an FDD or franchise disclosure document, which is everything you could ever want to know about a franchise system. It also includes the all-in investment range that's broken out in detail, as well as the item 19 that we refer to it as. And, and that's the financial representation of the type of money you can make if you were to buy into the franchise. And so that spans, you know, what are all the other owners in the franchise system doing? How was their first year? How was their second year? You know, was that ramp up look like? And so the goal from the Federal Trade Commission, or really from franchises in general, is for you to have an eyes wide open view before you sign that franchise agreement. And so you get to go through a process, really get to know the franchisor's team, review the Item 19, but then you also get to do what we call validation. And I know we'll hit on this a little bit more as we talk about the process later on, but. Again, getting to talk to other owners and really hear about their stories. And I think that's part of the reason, Jeff, when you look at the success rates, you know, we all know that in five years, you know, less than 10% of small businesses that that are startups, you know, are still around. However, the stats delivered by the IFA would show that 92% of franchise businesses are still in business after five years. So franchising doesn't totally de-risk the equation, but gosh, I mean, the numbers don't lie.
1: That's terrific. Very impressive. And IFA, for those who don't know it, is International Franchise Association. Association. Yes, sir. Okay. Now we're going to bring us up to more current times. We all know COVID-19 has had a dramatic effect on most people's lives. Terrible effect, unfortunately, on some people's lives and the families of those people. It certainly had an impact on business. Could you give us an example or two or more, John, of how COVID is affecting the non-food franchising industry? And here I'm talking about maybe sales, customers, number of franchises, franchisees, anything like that.
0: We hit on the QSRs, those quick service restaurants, you know, definitely struggled during the pandemic by and large. However, you know, I'd say they probably fared better than if they were a standalone all on their own. Instead, you had the franchise who were supporting encouraging and you know helping them with the PPP loans or what have you. And so I do think there were benefits to be had there. You know, within the world of non food franchising, on average, it fared better. However, you look at like lodging and hotels. I mean, a lot of those really struggled. You had fitness and, and gyms. I mean those struggled. However, what I candidly talk about is non-sexy being the new sexy as far as industries go. I've got clients asking me about home and property services. Those things that people are double down, double down on, spending more on. You know, they're roofing, the pool cleaning. You know, those types of businesses. Automotive is another great example. You know, we're doing a lot of oil change deals. People hear headlines about electric vehicles. Well, fifteen years from now, less than ten percent of cars on the road will be electric. I mean, there's still a long runway ahead for the oil change industry and for unique concepts. We've got one that uses unused parking spaces, and they use prefabricated building backed by an investor groups. They're able to get in at a much lower price and yet provide great convenience and customer service to the end customer. I'd say no area has benefited more than home and property services, though, as a result of COVID. I've done three recent deals in the gutter industry. One was a <laughs> Wall Street attorney just outside of Boston. And a couple of corporate executives bought the other ones. You know, no background at all in the gutters, but yeah. they love the financial model. They love the culture over 90% of my clients end up purchasing something that was never on their radar. Once they start thinking of themselves as a business owner, and they say, wait a minute, that actually makes a lot of sense for the lifestyle and the financial model that want to have going forward. And about half of our clients are looking to run the business full-time as what we'd call owner-operators. They're leaving the corporate world, leaving their full-time jobs. The other half are what we'd call an executive model or semi-absentee where they put a general manager in place day one to go and run the business for them. I think the trend behind that is, you know, right now you have more cash on the sidelines than at any other time. You know, stock markets had a nice run of late; it's kind of been a, a bouncing back and forth. But interest rates still relatively low historically. Only so many good real estate deals to be had. You see people looking for alternative investments, and so that's another thing that's been driving the growth in franchising. But what people are looking for, and this is where we're seeing growth, it's things like roll off dumpsters. It's you know the SERP Pro type model of water mitigation, mold remediation. And that's never going out of style. That's not wow. trendy. Yeah. CoVID can't shut that down. You're gonna have to keep that service going. So definitely seeing a shift in interest level. but also, yeah, I'd say from a macro standpoint, COVID's caused a lot of people to question the path they're on and, and take some time and say, I've always wanted to be a business owner. I don't quite know how, but maybe I should peek my head up and start looking around and, and so it's a lot of fun. You know entrepreneurism is alive and well, and you're seeing more and more interest on a daily basis. From a number standpoint, our business working with clients has doubled each year over the past couple of years. COVID did not slow it down.
1: That's terrific. Can you give us some examples? You mentioned, I think, somebody from Boston, maybe. I forget what he was doing. But the kinds of careers that people are coming from that you're seeing nowadays, in part because of this surge in entrepreneurialism, in part, or more than in part, because of what's happened with COVID. Yeah, you know, just to rattle off a few, you know, we have the
0: client who's the Wall Street attorney that purchased a better attorney. business. We just had a lady out in Arkansas who was a PhD for the University of Arkansas purchase an exercise business, but it's one that caters to those 50 and above. That's a growing percentage of the population. Oh, yeah. Many in that segment don't like going into a big box gym. So this is a beautiful model, smaller footprint, great technology behind the workouts. We recently had a Silicon Valley executive move down to Los Angeles and purchase a property management franchise in the commercial space. We had a real estate broker in Atlanta that said, "Hey, let me complement what my team's currently doing. Let's get into property management in the residential space, but let's do it through franchising so we can start on third base instead of first base. You know, let's get in the game and make it happen." We've had clients I mentioned SurPro had a client in New Jersey just come back to buy another location of a water mitigation mold remediation franchise. We had a client in Dallas recently purchase an insulation franchise. Well, that's a $52 billion insulation market. Highly fragmented, no national player. And he came in and said, Wait a minute, there's an opportunity here. And we know energy prices are going to go up over time. If I can help people you know, save money...
1: Well, to me, when you're saying that, what I'm really curious about is the background. Like you talked about the PhD. Okay. Yep. What Well, what's the background of this? Part? Do they have a background? In that? Cause you talked about some people don't even have a background in it.
0: Yeah. And so in this case, he was a business owner already owned multiple franchise brands as well as non franchise. And that's a trend that we definitely see, Jeff, is those that are already business owners looking to add either complementary businesses to their core business or looking to diversify into something. Totally different. Very, very common if they build out that portfolio approach, they're able to promote within, build that organization. That's a strategy that we see a lot of people employing. and I I think we'll continue to going forward.
1: Very, very interesting stuff, John. I'm going to ask you something that I probably wouldn't have thought of asking if it weren't for what's going on right now. A lot of franchises have made the decision to pull out of Russia because of the war going on right now. How often do the politics or the economics of a foreign environment, foreign country come into play if you're a franchisee who decides, you know, I'm going to set up a non-food franchise in uh, South Korea or India or Africa? How often is that a factor or a consideration? I think it's very
0: similar to just business in general. I've done business cross borders. When I was in the corporate world, we worked with a large multinational that operated in 10 other countries, and we had some very strong businesses. But we had to make adjustments you know, for each country. I think the larger the organization, the more firepower and ability resource-wise to be able to make those adjustments. Whereas if it's a smaller franchise system, for instance, they're not going to go into countries that are highly regulated, that are also unpredictable. There are other ways to grow, easier ways to grow. Now as a franchisee, I think being from that country, really understanding the ins and outs, having the relationships on the ground is absolutely paramount. I would not want to be an incoming franchisee in another country where I did not have that long established tenure. So I think there's some wisdom that goes into purchasing a franchise in the local market as well as starting a business. I mean, really the same thing in my opinion.
1: Yes. This concludes part one of our two-part series on non-food franchising, its related global trends in future, and the opportunities that will create with our guest expert, John Austinson. If you have any questions you'd like to ask John or me, please contact me at my website wwwjeff ostroffcom And if you like this episode, I'd really appreciate your telling a family member or friend or two about it and giving it a positive review on the podcast hosting site where you listen to it. Thanks for listening to this episode of Looking Forward. I hope you've enjoyed it and learned something. I also hope that you'll tell others about our show. If you have any comments or ideas for future episodes, please contact me at my website, jeff-ostroff.com. That's J-E-F-F-O-S-T-R-O-F-F. Com. This is Jeff Ostroff, inviting you to join us again next time on Looking Forward.